And there we were. We made two fish houses. He no sooner got finished with that. Oh, he had three more friends that really, really wanted a fish house just like that. They could just put it in the back of their car, go fishing. It was perfect. Welcome to the Woman Angler and Adventurer Podcast, inspiring real women with a passion for fishing and the outdoors to go get their adventure on. Now, here's your host, Angie Scott and Barb Perry. Welcome to another episode of the Woman Angler and Adventure. My name is Barb Carey, your host today, and this week we have a very special episode um, last year we recorded episode 51, which was titled the ladies behind the Godfather of ice fishing meet the Gens girls. And this story was about Patsy, Missy and Kathy Gens, who were all part of the ice fishing revolution. Well, we recently found that Patsy Gens passed away in St. Cloud, Minnesota on March 2nd. Um, she married Dave Gens in 1966, and uh, they really were the ones that revolutionized the sport of ice fishing. They created the first flip-over style ice fishing shelter, and Patsy actually sewed them on her sewing machine. And, uh, you know, her their daughters, Missy and Kathy, were such a huge part of all that revolution that occurred during that time. And we want to replay that episode this week in honor of Patsy and really give a tribute to her in everything that she has done uh, for the sport of ice fishing, for all of us who are now passionate about the sport. And our hearts go out to Missy, Kathy, Dave Gens, and all of the family and all of the ice fishing community that is mourning the loss of Patsy. If you go to our website, you'll be able to see a video of this episode where we were sitting down at the kitchen table talking to Patsy and recording this episode, and I hope you enjoy this replay. Patsy was amazing, and I know from us here at the Woman Angler and Adventure, we want to thank you, the Gens family, for everything you've done, and really know that you're in our thoughts and prayers, and our deepest sympathy goes out to you. Welcome to another episode of the Woman Angler and Adventure, the podcast that brings tales and stories of women anglers and adventure from all over the world. And I got to tell you, uh, this is Barb Carey, the host, and Angie's back in Nashville cleaning everything up that I do. So it sounds good. But I, I got to admit that this podcast coming up is one of the ones I'm most nervous doing, you know? Yeah, it is. It is because I am in the home of Patsy Gens, Pat, Patsy and Dave Gens, along with their daughters, uh, Missy Davis and Kathy Roberts. And if you know anything at all, if you've ever heard of ice fishing, you have heard the name Gens because they go hand in hand. And I've been involved in the ice fishing industry for many, many years. And it's because of this family that this sport is what it is today. And a lot of people talk to Dave. They interviewed Dave. He's called the godfather of ice fishing, the one who started this whole big revolution. But 
I got to know these ladies and I started talking to them and hearing some of the stories they were talking about. And I said, I thought, this is the story that has to be told. So first off, thank you for welcoming me into your home, Patsy. Oh, you're most welcome. Now, Patsy, you and Dave, how long have you been married? 52 years. Wow, 52 years. And um, there are two daughters here. I'm in St. Cloud, Minnesota right now, along with uh, Missy. Yeah, I'm their love child. I'm 51. (laughs) (laughs) And Kathy, she also lives this. They all live right next door to each other. Kathy lives right down the street. I do. I moved here shortly after they did to join them in this adventure. So this, uh, this ice fishing, how did, how did it start like in the very beginning? And this would have been how long ago? We're going to say 30 some years ago, the evolution of, of the fish house. In 1972, we had lived in Moundsview, Minnesota in an apartment and it was a very small apartment. David's uncle gave him a little, little portable fish house that he had made himself and he gave it to Dave. It would fit in the back of the car and he could take it and go fishing. And we had that fish house about three years and we had moved into a home. And that fall, my husband decided that it needed to be repaired, replaced, replaced. He wanted me to resew a new canvas top for it. And he would build a new base for it. So that's where it began. I said, yes, I would try to do that for him. Well, he got enough material to make a couple of them. So he not only needed one for himself, he needed one for his friend. And there we were. We made two fish houses. He no sooner got finished with that. Oh, he had three more friends that really, really wanted a fish house just like that. They could just put it in the back of their car, go fishing. It was perfect. So I would imagine out there on the lake at that time, that's the only people that had them. I mean, it isn't what were everyone else in? Was everyone else in permanent shacks? Permanent shacks. You had a permanent shack or you were standing on the ice, sitting, sitting on a bucket. Sitting on a bucket. That's what they were doing. Everybody was on a bucket. Yeah. And that's kind of some, a lot of times when I talk about um, ice fishing, I think people see it as a horror story, fishing with their grandfather, that they're sitting on a bucket freezing because, you know, and here's Dave and three of his friends, soon to be five of his friends, starting this whole new craze with the, the fabric that you sewed for him. Right. Right. He had gotten the material. He worked at American Linen. And they had different people coming through there, salesmen selling different products. And a gentleman sold Dave some material that was like 90 inches wide. So if you're a sewer, you know that this is really a big piece of material. So we could eliminate a ton of seams. And it was a really good price. So we we ordered some material, used it up turned around and ordered more material. Pretty soon he's got me now sewing 20 fish houses. And then we sewed 20 more fish houses. So we're we're selling them to friends, acquaintances, a friend of a friend. 
So these, you know, we stopped on the way here at um, the headquarters, Clam in Rogers, Minnesota, and we saw a white canvas. And what was the date on that? 1981. That was a little label right on there. Was that the kind of fish house that you were sewing at that time? Yes. Yes. Because we'll post a picture of that same house. And I'm sure by the time we're done here talking, you're going to have other pictures that we're going to be able to share. But that that is, you know, first of all, it must have been brilliant at the time. And now you're the only ones that have them. And he's asking you and you're in, in the house like slave labor. So on away, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, but, you know, when when we did that, oh, I can't remember how much we got for a fish house. You know, you were, you, I'm going to say we probably had $25 into what it cost us for the piece of wood and, and the, and the cover. And we probably sold it for $50. There we got $25. And it went right in our pocket. It, it wasn't taxed. Uh, if you're listening in the IRS, you, it's past the statute of limitations. I hope so. Long ago. That was the beginning. That was the nest egg it took to build it to the next level, probably. But that was basically how it how it all got going. Was it took a bunch of people. And then you you you, you gotta move. You you've used up all your friends. So are you going to go to the next level? Are you going to take it to a store? A lot of people liked it. A lot of people wanted it. But it has to sit at the end of a counter and sell itself because there's nobody standing there saying you need that. And he took it, you know, to the bait stores. And there's there's people, you know, like at Frankie's, that's a popular store. Those people sell product. And Thorn Brothers and Trails End and, you know, local. We were all fortunate to be close to those locations. Yeah. So they were all really close to our home. So he was able to stop in and visit those stores and probably talk it a little bit more than than if it would have been a long distance. Yeah. So it's a wooden base with a chair built in it. I saw this kind of this almost like an old um, kitchen chair, a fiberglass. That was, that, that's an add-on accessory. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then there's like conduit piping that came around, and then the fabric was sewn right to that. Right. And. Uh, how how many years were you sewing them before it just got too big for you? Within two years. Oh. Two years, that's enough. Maybe. I would say somewhere in that vicinity. When numbers got bigger, like 80. Yeah. yeah. That's how Dad yeah. tells the story is that the first year she only sold, you know, she sewed 20. And the second year she sold 50. And when she had to do 80, she said no more. <laughs> so, Missy, how, how old were you then? Um, oh, gosh, a teenager, 13. I guess is, you know, I, I graduated in 1986 and I, the company really took off around, you know, the late seventies. So. So I remember when we were at the ice show, you guys were talking to me and I remember a couple of stories that you told me. And one of them was, cause you guys were teenage girls back at that time. 
And uh, like you'd be bickering and stuff like regular teenage girls. And then the phone would ring. Yes. Tell me, remember that story? One of you told me that. Uh, I remember it really well, just because I, I still to this day do that, where we can be bickering. And, and my dad said, it doesn't matter what's happening on this end of the phone. When you pick that phone up, you better have a smile on your face. And I still to that to this day, I drive my family crazy. Mom's screaming and I'll answer the phone. Hello, this is Kathy. <laughs> so we're, what was that? What was it like in the house? Did your phone ringing all the time? People oh, coming over? it was crazy with the phone ringing. And me and Missy, we kind of smiled about it because the day we got two phones in the house, Dad got one, Kathy got one. <laughs> we had a five-minute time limit. It didn't you know, it did not uh, apply to dad, but the rest of the family, if we got on the phone, we had a five minute time limit, um, during that time. And it was really nice for Kathy when dad would get on the phone and she could sneak into the other room and talk longer. So what, uh, who would be calling and stuff for mom and dad or for Kathy? No, I, I, I'm sure she had a whole trail of friends chasing after her, but who, who is the business? Work of friends, you know, going from there. And then there was article interviews and yeah. bait stores making orders. And mm-hmm. so there was a constant flow of people. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of flow of yeah. people calling, asking about the product. So you had the fish house, yes. you know, that's kind of what started the whole thing. Yes. And then, uh, then it kind of grew from there, not only the fish houses, but there was other stuff, other things. What else was going on? I, I think, you know, we have the depth finder that was all of a sudden discovered. And I, re- I really remember sitting down with my dad one day. He was out in the garage and he's looking at this green box. And I'm like, what are you doing, dad? And he said, look at, you can see your jig. And he takes this out and he shows me the jig on there. And he was so excited. So this is back a long time ago when you think about the Lawrence green box. That's kind of the first time that I remember him pointing out that there was a jig down there. So at that same time, he's trying to figure out how he can use this on the ice. You know, how am I going to be able to use that? And that's where the ice box came in place. You start seeing that and he's, he's building a box to carry this depth finder out on the ice. So you, you go through, is it Hondex and Cytex and Vexlar and, you know, all these different units. And he's just showing everybody how this, he can see his depth finder, you know, he can see his lure down there. And, and that was kind of the innovation. Now you start seeing your lure. You're now using this portable fish house. You can see your, your jig down there. You've got your, your ice box. Your, your depth finder is now on there. You're using a lightweight rod. You're using, you know, I can remember as a kid, we took hooks and you tied the lead onto the hook so he could see it down on his depth finder better. And, and all of a sudden he created this whole system that he used to go catch more fish on the ice. And, you know, people were calling. They wanted to know know about this whole system, what he was using and, and how do you drill those holes? You know, we're, we're now we got, you know, a, a power auger out there. We're not using those spoon augers. So now you're being able to drill more holes. You're being able to see what you're doing down under the ice. It was pretty phenomenal. And the phone calls of people calling, wanting to know what about the system? What are you using? You know, they're ordering this products. They're so excited. And it was across the country. It was so cool. We'd get off and say, oh, I just talked to somebody from New York. Or I just talked to somebody from, you know, yeah. Or, or, you know. Now, another thing they told me at the the ice show is that, Patsy, you would get a 
group of company in the morning and you had to have something baked for them when they came in the house. Is that true? Do you remember that? Is it true? I tell you, more days than not, I baked two cakes, not just one cake. <laughs> a cake for the morning visitors and a cake for the afternoon visitors? Yeah, they came back at four. <laughs> Well, a lot of times they came to get their maggots before they went fishing and they, you know, figured out where they were going. They had to find out the hot spot. So then they had to stop back over after the fishing bite was done so that they could let them know where the fish were. So you had the before they went and the after they went daily occurrence at our house. Wow, were these just friends of the family? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it was a rare day that if you came home from school and there wasn't someone at the table, you were wondering who died. You know, what, what's going on? Why is it so quiet? And stuff. But yeah, a lot of friends. We had the Rogers, Roger and Roger, a group of guys and just wonderful that were at the table. And, you know, it could be Mike Nowak or Rick Johnson or, you know, it was fun. Pat Smith was another one. Yeah. So is it, what about in the summer? Was your life like this in the summer or did it slow down a little bit? Oh, Dave never stopped fishing. So it doesn't change. Just the, you know, the equipment didn't. I guess it changed. He went from boat, you know, from the fish house to the boat. But did it change? I don't know. It was always talk of fishing. <laughs> I so, didn't make less cookies in the summertime. <laughs> so some of the stuff, you know, I mean, we were talking before about some of the jobs you guys had as kids and putting labels on packages of maggots and wrapping this wire around the hook. How how? How old, how did your life look then? Like you went to school, you'd come home, you'd have to work in the garage until, how did that work? I, it was a piece of, it, we really didn't have to work that hard. We just make it sound bad. It, honestly, yeah, we, an hour, here, an an hour, hour there. there. They didn't overwork. It's not like, it's not like they did something for three hours. Yeah. It was a rare day. But I really think that we need to, to step back a couple steps because this lady here deserves an awful lot of credit for what she did. Not only did she sew all those fish houses, but Patsy said the business is at a certain point. We got to kind of go forward. She at, you know, in her forties went back to school and got her college education so that she would be able to do the bookkeeping for this business. Wow, I didn't know that. Ah, not only did she go back to school, but now in order for Dave to be able to go out and promote this whole new system, now there's got to be an income that's going to come in. She actually went to work at a business so she could get familiar with things for a little bit. Then she took on Midwest Direct, created a company to ship maggots across the seven state area. So Patsy was home baking cookies, shipping maggots, taking the phone calls, placing all the orders, getting everything organized while he was out selling. So she was really the big backbone behind all of winter fishing systems. She couldn't have, Dave could not have done it without Patsy. Wow. You know, that's, that's the part. That's why I'm so excited to be here talking to you guys, because that's the story that people yeah. have to hear. A lot of times they hear the other story, but not too many people have heard this story. And hats off, you should be the godmother of ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that it worked out well. We had a lot of fun in the process. 
So, you know, as a, as a fishing family, I know I've fished with both of you and I know that, that this passion, I think it's almost something that runs through your veins because, you know, it, it would, I, I would bet at some point, you know, as a young kid being so engulfed in the industry that it could get to be too much and you may not, how did you keep that passion for fishing for yourselves? Oh gosh, that's really a tough one. I, you know, honestly, in my case, I grew up not going fishing. I went, I grew up catching. You know, so dad would cut, you know, I mean, summer he would go out fishing and not wake us. And then all of a sudden he, the fish would be biting, he would come and get us. So we always had that, that background. And you're going to have to ask Kathy her, her honeymoon story because it's a really good one <laughs> about that. Um, and, and I'll have to say in my, you know, late twenties and stuff like that, I took a, a step back from anything to do with the fishing industry. But now that I'm back in Minnesota after moving to Virginia, um, yeah, the fishing has been phenomenal and I'm able to go find my own spots now. <laughs> awesome. What about this honeymoon story? I got to hear this. Well, I always, I, I, dad always came and got us. We never had, had no idea. You know, you just assumed, you know, there's fish out on the lake. He just came and got us. Then we just jumped in the boat and went fishing. We always caught fish. It was never a big deal. Well, I married at 18. So we took a honeymoon at our one year anniversary. My in-laws rented us a houseboat on Rainy Lake. So nice big lake. The, the, the guy digs us out, drops us off onto this island and he leaves and, you know, my husband then turns to me and says, do you know, I've never driven a boat before. I was like, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> well, and then we didn't catch anything. I'm like, what the heck? Seriously? This big lake? Why would anybody even want to come here? There's no fish in this lake. Lo and behold, I found out that there's more to catching. There is a thing called fishing. <laughs> and you actually have to find them somewhere in the lake. So, yeah, I always joke that I learned how to catch. I didn't learn how to fish until I got married. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, and that's the problem that most of us have all the time because mostly no one's taking us catching. They're only taking us fishing. So yeah. hats off to you guys. That's why you're so good. I mean, you're so skilled now. I mean, I follow you around sometimes and try to get some tips. And <laughs> But Patsy, now, do you do you fish? Do you have that passion for fishing like the rest I'm of the fishermen with my kids? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we're spoiled. We like to catch fish. And I don't like to just go out explore. I mean, I, I I like a nice boat ride now and then. We live here on the river, and it's just beautiful. And, yeah, I can go for a boat ride. But if I'm going fishing, I do like catching the best. <laughs> well, I think that's probably, you know, what fueled this whole revolution, because there was probably a lot more fishing going on than there was catching back in the early days. And you start yeah, you start adding in the green box and the better rods, and you're able to stay out there longer. All of a sudden, you got... Yeah, good clothes makes a big difference. Oh, absolutely, oh, absolutely. So uh, did you ever dream, Missy, that, it, you know, it would come this far? Never, never. I would have never thought that the, the, the popularity of what's happened to the ice fishing industry and how it exploded. I No, not at 16, 18, even 20 yeah. and stuff. It just amazes me to see the amount of flip-over shelters there are out there in the marketplace and the, the rods, I mean, walking into, you know, one of the fleet farms as an example and seeing all the different types of rods that are out there for just ice fishing, <laughs> you know, it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. You know, who, you know, I'm, I came into it a little bit later than you guys. I didn't grow up 
doing this. You know, I can remember that one or two times I fished as a young kid, but now I see the growth of women. That's kind of where I see this in the last, you know, 15 years that I've been doing what I do, how it's just kind of totally, it's that revolution has picked up another batch of steam because of the women. I really think that the the electric augers is what created that. And and for myself, that was huge. You know, we fished all the time. And I always had to go up and say, could you drill my hole? Can you drill my hole? Because I did not like that gas auger. I did not like that gas. I didn't, I had, I had no desire for that. So when you put that electric auger in my hand, that was it. Now I can do, I, I don't need to ask anybody. If somebody's catching fish, I can go drill a hole. I don't have to interrupt them. I, it, it created a whole new world for me. And I think that there's many women out there that have a, a better opportunity to be able to go out there and, and do that. Yeah. Being able to read the lake maps and going to find your own fish, it's an adventure and they can do it by themselves now. Absolutely. You know, I remember running those gas augers. First of all, it took half your energy just to start the dang thing. And then you would drill, you know, you'd go through, I don't know, drill 25 holes and that's it. I'm fishing here. I can't drill any more holes, you know, and that was a lot back, you know, for women in those days, but it, it totally is a game changer. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams, Patsy, it would be where it is today? Absolutely not. It just wasn't, never thought about it. Never thought about it. I was happy that it was going the way it was going, but I just didn't see it exploding that big, you know. Well, do you realize how you're just a big piece of that whole thing? And if, you know, if it wouldn't have been for you, it probably wouldn't be like it is today. I'm impressed. But no, I never, I never gave it any great thought that Dave and I made that big evolution. Absolutely. What a team, you know, and I, I'm just honored to be sitting in your house here talking to you. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, this, these stories aren't told. And I just think it's, I just enjoyed talking to you at the ice show about this stuff so much. And I, we talked about this. I'm glad it worked out and I'm glad I'm here. And, um, you know, we, we've seen how far it's come. I mean, it's almost hard to imagine what the future is. Do you have any guesses on what that'll look like? Oh, it's just gonna, it's gonna be a, you know, a sea of fish houses. I don't even know what to think. I, it's so cool. And then you've got, you know, the new products that are coming out constantly with GPSs and, you know, different sonars and, you know, different rods and clothing. Oh my gosh, the clothing. Especially the clothing. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yeah. What, did, what was the clothing like back when you were starting? What, what was that too about? Heavy. I think it was too heavy. It wasn't comfortable. You felt very weighted down to get to be warm, you thought you had to have a ton of clothes. I didn't breathe. Yeah. That's probably why there was such motivation to have the fish house because the clothes weren't so good. You yeah. were, it must have been cold and uncomfortable out there. Yeah. And wet. I mean, it didn't keep you dry like it does yeah. today. I think that's big. Yeah. You know, Patsy sewed Dave's first snowsuit and we, we laughed because it was a blue suit. It was, oh, it really? was really suit. like the, <laughs> you a picture of yeah. that. There you go. Cause it, it is, it's quite funny, but yeah, yeah I, I think that clothing today is going to be a huge part yeah. of, of the revolution yeah. that we're going to see happen. It's going to get I, more I remember people. when the girls were in their teens and the moon boots came out, they were lightweight. They had that foam on the inside of them, but they were basic. They were a pretty warm boot in comparison to so many of the other boots that were out there, but they were lightweight. And now today we get a lot of lightweight clothes that are warm. 
I have to say about the moomoots, what I remember but, is if you went for the weekend and your feet were wet after day one, you put bread bags <laughs> over oh, your yeah. socks so that your feet weren't wet the next day when you went out. That's yeah, that what I remember. <laughs> you know, people I see on these forums all the time, they talk about boots. People still talk about the moon boots and yes. those, those Mickey Mouse boots, those oh, old military those white ones. <laughs> they were a dandy. Well, those you can still find at the Army-Navy surpluses. Oh, yes. And I know many people that still use them. Oh, yes. <laughs> they look like they weigh about 25 pounds, so I don't know how heavy. They say they're really good. <laughs> so uh, Dave has become such an icon. You guys were just telling me how uh, the ABC, no, ESPN or ABC or someone was out. Tell me about that little HBO. recent thing. HBO Real Sports actually came out and did a segment and, and was learning about the history of ice fishing. And that was pretty awesome to get the opportunity to watch them do that production. Yeah. And ESPN last year when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis, I think that, I think the, Ice fishing, I think, used to be just kind of in this upper Midwest circle, maybe North Dakota, a little bit out east. But now, I mean, we I held this uh, Women on Ice event two weeks ago. We had a woman from California, a woman from Arizona, and oh, today really? a woman from Florida is messaging me and wanting to go ice fishing next year. So that's one of the areas I think the growth is. Mm-hmm. You know, people traveling to a destination to ice fish that's totally out of their wheelhouse, just yeah. almost like a bucket list thing or something like that. Must be. Well, didn't I just see Perch Patrol hosted a wedding on the ice? So in they, they came in from like Arizona, the southern states, and had their wedding on the ice with Zippy and the crew out there. And man, yeah. And I think it was somewhere warmer. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. You know, and and I feel lucky to have gotten into it when I did because I only had to work hard and be cold for a few years, you know, before I got to the, you know, that was before Vexlars were commonplace. So you guys probably had had them for years, but you know, it was not attainable and affordable for everybody and the, mm-hmm. you know, but I still hear people talking about that green box. Oh yeah. You know, and, and was that just, was that a summer unit that they kind of, they just converted the green box was the portability of it that they made to carry it around or? Well, I think one of the things, yes. And then as, as the Cytex and the Hondex before it became Vexlar, it was the same units just made by somebody else or brought in by somebody else. And what I remember is what they figured out about it is that it, the transducer had to sit level. In order for that unit to be able to see your jig below there, it had to sit and that had to bounce off the bottom to give you that echo back in order for you to be able to see that. And I remember as a kid, we would have the kitchen table being full of depth finders that were mounted on the blue boxes. And I remember mom there and I remember her putting, you know, trying to level and you had to literally a leveling bubble that sat on the top of the transducers. And once that was level, then you could actually silicone that into the top of the transducers. And if it wasn't level, that echo would not come off the bottom, so you would not be able to see it. So it was important to do that. And I remember before she'd ship them, because she shipped them all over the upper Midwest. And she would actually have all the depth finders all around the table, and she'd be leveling the bubbles in order to before you could ship them. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't just all of a sudden. So we watched that. And now the transducers don't have to do that. But, I mean, it literally had to be level in order for that to happen. And and that was the beginning. That was the start of all of those those using your depth finders on the ice. 
Yeah. And I think the, the, the Lawrence unit that, that dad introduced is because that's what he had. He didn't have the Cytex or the, or the Hondex unit at that time, but he f- quickly realized that that was the better way to go. It was easier to mount. You could hook it up to a motorcycle battery, which was at that time what they used for power on the ice. And that's what the boxes were built around was to be able to hold that motorcycle battery. Well, and then you think about the ingenuity about, oh, I think the hooks need a little bit more lead to pick up the return. And then, so then you guys are wrapping lead around the original summer hooks and every piece of the pie, I mean, from the... Well, you can see that is the makings of them fishermen. They did a lot of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all about fishing. (laughs) Well, I think now today we have the tungsten jigs, you know, which are heavier jigs so we can actually see it better on our locators. So look where we went from a lead hook to now using a tungsten jig. It's amazing to think of where it's been and where it's going. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And to think about how many, you know, you guys just didn't have the fish house. I mean, now I'm hearing you're doing the transducer bubbles and the maggots and the the rods and and the shacks. And, you know, that must have been for... You described your house at that time that you were working out of it, 800 square foot house with a little garage. Correct, correct. That's why we had to add the garage because you know what? You got to have room for them shipping boxes. Wow, what did your neighbors think? They must have thought this was. They must have thought we were the biggest drug dealers in this (laughs) county because they had no idea why there was people coming in and out. And you have to know back then we couldn't ship a fish trap through the through the mail or through UPS. We had to, she had to pl- take the orders and then she had to prepare Greyhound bus service. Oh my God. So you had to get the fish houses to the Greyhound bus service. And then it was like two weeks before they would actually physically get the fish house. So, I mean, it was all crazy and all the work that it took to figure out where that, you know, how are we going to get it to them? Because you can't, you can't ship that through UPS because the dimensions were too big. Oh my gosh, the Greyhound, I never heard that piece, the Greyhound bus shipping for the Ashex. Can you imagine? Yeah. And what kind of, what kind of volume was happening then in the early days? Oh goodness, I couldn't even tell you. That's probably a better question for mom. She, you know. Volume, no, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a lot. Okay. We're talking hundred. Mm, no, no, I would, no. I bet we didn't ship a hundred fish houses in a winter. The first years? I don't think so. So how, what, where, when did it transition? So then all of a sudden it's too big for us. 1992, we teamed up with Clam Corporation and USL products. Yeah, USL products. And so Dave basically gave his business away as far as I'm concerned. Well, he's not give it away, but he no longer did the manufacturing. They did the manufacturing, and he did the promotion, which he was always really good at. Right, he's still good at it. He can draw a crowd no matter where he is. Yeah, Yeah, because you can just tell. He just reeks the the love of fishing, just pours out of him. He's just got so much knowledge. And and how USL came involved was... um, most of the sports shows or events that we did, we did a lot of fish house sales at, at Thorn Brothers back in those days. Every time you went to one, there was Dad, there was Dave, and there was Denny. And it was like every place, here all of a sudden, they're always at there. Denny, original clam um, fish house, was a 
suitcase. Um, a suitcase-styled fish house. So Danny was there selling his suitcase, and there was Dave selling his flip-over. So you had both styles of fish houses that were at all these events. And eventually, Danny approached Dave and said, you know, we're doing all these things together. We should team up. Yeah. You know, Denny wasn't the best person for sitting there to do that. Dave could get him in and, and start talking. So Denny was more the background person and he was really good at that. Yep. You know, he's good at getting it into the store that Dave was good at selling it. So they, that's how they kind of teamed up. And eventually, um, USL turned to clam. I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you yeah. exactly all the history of how that all came. Yeah. Toro. USL went to Toro for a while. So it was a yeah. division of the Toro snowblowers and lawnmowers and, yeah. and, and then it went back to clam. And then from clam, then it went to Dave Osborne. So Denny Clark created USL to begin with. Wow, you know, it's you know, and it's like all these things had to fall into place to really get it to be where it is yes, today. Yeah. You know, it's it's. Now you were telling me before before we turned on the recorder about rods, the trout rod, the broken trout rod. Tell me that story again while we got the um thing going. Dave visited Thorn Brothers, and they had a big barrel of broken rod, and he picked them up and started playing with them, and he said. Huh. I could I could use this for a jiggle stick. It's just about the right length. And they said, "Well, you could do that, and you could you could put the ends on and the eyes and and fix it up and do what you want with it and put cork handles onto it and see what you can get." So he drug them home, built rods, and that was the beginning of the graphite rods that we see today. Dave made those way back at the beginning. So every direction you look when it comes to what Dave's done, it's always been Dave found a new idea and he shared it with everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So you were you were uh, the one that was putting the eyes on those rods. You were working on even in I that? I did that. Yep, I helped him. I helped put the cork handles on them and it all began. Another project. I do remember, Dad, how he got the cork for the handles for those new rods was he worked at American Linen. So when they would go pick up the linen and come back to the store and they'd back to the place, they would shake it out and all these corks would start falling out from the restaurants because of the napkins. So that's where he got the cork is he would... The tablecloths the table and the napkins and all the linen oh, okay. is where yeah. all those corks okay. came from. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, who would have thought all that? You know, I just... He, really, he's gen genius, you know, to put all those little pieces of everything together. It's amazing. He well, worked it, in maintenance, so he understood how to put pieces together. Yeah. Jeez. And they truly named their company the right thing, Winter Fishing Systems. You oh. know, there was all the systems that were put together for, you know, right for being out on the ice. Wow, it's just amazing. So you're you you started the company Winter Fishing Systems WFS, yeah, and uh, that it just kind of encapsulated everything, and then eventually that was sold to Clam Corporation. No, no? so we owned Winter Fishing Systems. The fish house went to Clam Corporation. Oh, okay. So the production, yeah. And, oh, okay. And Vexlar has the rights to manufacture the, the ice box. Ice box. Oh, okay. So now Dave is still working full time now, Kathy, and you're traveling around with him. Tell me what you're what 
because I know you guys are on the go all the time. Tell me a little bit about what you and your dad are doing when he's out and about and your your winters are crazy busy. We're fishing a lot. <laughs> um, we're actually been going out and just just giving an opportunity for people to be able to meet him, to fish with him. Um, a lot of teaching. Last weekend we were out on the ice and we had, you know, a whole group of guys and it was a lot of fun to be able to talk about the system and, and show them. There was guys out there that had not used a Vexlar and gave them the opportunity to use one and, and how to. And, and we talked about the jigs and, you know, I was able to show them how to string the maggots on. You know, there is a certain way you want to look at the maggot. There's two sides and the pointed side. You want to go to the flat side, hook it between the two little eyes onto the jig, you know, you jig right through that and break that scent sack. And to be able to share those things, you know, I was surprised on how many, you know, probably a big tip would be to, when you put your maggots in your cup, you should take two cups with you. One that you keep close to your body to keep warm and one that you keep in your front pocket. You're going to pull it out, put your maggots on. But when those don't become wiggly anymore, switch them. Put that other cup, you know, close to your body, bring the other one out. They're livelier now. They actually are fatter and it gives you that sense act to be able to pop. So, you know, tips like that to be able to share out there. And, and that's kind of what we're doing now is get that opportunity to spend time on the ice with people. Yeah, I know. I, I've done a lot of seminars that I give, you know, to over to different seminars at um, ice shows and women's groups and stuff. And I find myself when I'm telling people what I know, so much of it I know came from Dave. You know, where he's talking about how to hook the maggots and feel the jig, not the bite, and yeah. football fields and tennis courts. I mean, how you search that. I mean, because I've, I've just kind of tried to suck in as much as I can from reading, because I know he knows so much, and he's sharing all the information. Much, you know, not typical for a lot of anglers. You know, if it would have been someone else other than Dave in those days that yeah. made these discoveries, we might not even know it because a lot of those guys in that era wouldn't share anything. Oh, no, they were no. keeping it for themselves. I know. And, you know, hats off to Dave for wanting to, you know, really spread the word about it because it's helped, I don't know, just a whole ton of people. Yeah, and he had a wonderful network of friends that they went out together and did that. And Kathy's husband, Tom, and Rick Johnson, one of the ice team pros. And again, Joe Jackson. And I mean, the list is endless of these guys that all shared information together. You know, they would come to with that with an idea and then they would share it with the world. So it was pretty cool to have all those people at the kitchen table. Yeah, I bet. He, he also, you know, wrote a couple books to be able to share that knowledge, um, as well as, you know, a DVD that's out there. I mean, it even, even shows you how to look up uh, what to do with a lake map, you know, how to break it down. I mean, he, he is not afraid to share whatever information is out there. There, the, the only thing I would say that I've ever known him not to share is somebody else's lake. The hot spot. The hot spot yeah. You know, I would say that's probably the only thing that I've ever known him not to share. But if somebody has a question, he's there to, to offer whatever he can. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, about this book and the DVDs, now if somebody wanted to buy one of those, where do they go to find that? 
davegans.com. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So is there a lot of products there like that? Uh, no, we only have a book right now called Ice Revolutions. Um, there's also a link if you want to give like a Kindle copy or, or, or a digital copy. And then we have the DVD, which is entitled Bluegills, which talks about how to break down a lake and his fishing techniques and football fields and tennis courts. So all that is included in this one hour DVD. Wow. That's awesome. You know, and that's, that's the, I think, you know, when you say that he's the godfather, definitely Patsy, you're the godmother and even Missy and Kathy, I mean, you guys have been involved in this from the beginning. You're just so friendly and, and willing to share all this stuff. I just feel such an honor to be here and to have met all of you and to just kind of retain and share what I can with other people that I've been able to pick up, which is not even a fraction of what you guys will ever, you know, oh, but not giving yourself enough credit. Well, you know, it's a, it's, sure. it's a, yeah. you know, it's a, it's always a journey. And if you ever stop learning, I bet you Dave is learning stuff this week. I mean, oh, you learn every day that you go. Isn't that yeah, true? That is true. Very much so. I was also thinking that Dave at one time also teamed up with in fishermen with Doug Stangy and the Linders and wrote a book with them called Ice Fishing Secrets. There's oh, yeah. a part one and part two, and it's still available if you search Amazon, which was a really wonderful yeah. piece of information that's still out there. So is was, you know, mainly the target and what people were fishing for, panfish, like bluegills mostly? Well, that's always been his favorite thing is bluegills, panfish. You know, not that he doesn't. The other fish are just there, mixed yeah. in with it. <laughs> But he did go get the panfish because that's yeah. his favorite to eat. Right. You too? Absolutely. I, I would say that he likes fishing the panfish probably more because the action's a lot better. Yeah. You know, versus the walleye is is not as many per hour that you're yeah. going to catch. So he was much more apt to go looking for the bluegills. Yeah. Well, they, they're more active during the day. You know, walleyes, it's, you know sun up and sundown is where they become more active and more plentiful versus we can go fishing for them, the panfish during the day. Well, and I've seen the replicas you have on the wall here, the size of those bluegills. I mean, those bluegills are taking drag out. Those are fun. It's not like you're oh, catching yeah. little tiny fish. Yeah. Those are some dandies. Yes, absolutely. Mom got to be on that adventure when they traveled to Nebraska when it was a hot cycle and they went down there and caught some of those fish. I got to go there last year and catch a pound gill, so I was pretty happy about that. Okay. So I'm jealous because I haven't been there yet. <laughs> Let's you and I go. How's that? <laughs> what about <laughs> What about Cascade? Did you go there last year for those perch? We did not. We were hoping to get there this year. Doesn't look like it. Maybe next year. Yeah. Well, Patsy, you know, I'm sure that there's other women young women that are starting out now in these ventures. What advice can you give to them? If, if someone would have given you advice when you started years ago, what, what advice would you give to that new person starting out and just kind of falling into something like this and have it become the start of something? Work hard. Hang on. You know, it's not all going to happen in a minute. Take your time. There, there isn't. No easy road, but you will find out over time it's well worth it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my life in for somebody else's. We've, I've had a very good life. Well, I know one thing, you know, you guys are such wonderful people. 
And I can tell you just emit happiness, you know, that you're loving your life. You love your life when you were younger, when, and you love being part of this. And you guys have changed a lot of people's lives. I tell you that because we all know, I used to say, you know, it's all about the fishing, but it's much more than that. And, uh, you, I'm sure you see it in the people you've come across. Oh, and yeah. Everybody's <laughs> nice, friendly, you know, it's just, yeah. it's one big happy family. The, the ice fishing world is just amazing. You know, I can't say I've, I've enjoyed everybody I've encountered and I look forward to hearing their stories. It's a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun being able to travel and hear all these people's stories. Yeah. It's amazing. Wonderful impact. And I'm glad that now we're telling more women's stories. Because they have stories that are, you know, just fascinating. And I'm happy to have that be my role. And I take it very seriously. And again, I cannot thank you guys enough for inviting me in your home today. Thank you for being guests on the Woman Angler and Adventurer. And uh, I hope that uh, we get to fish in the future. I'm I'm all for it. Let's go. (laughs) Thank you so much, Patsy. Are Are you still fishing these days? No. You might get me a little in the summertime, but it's really cold. I, my breathing isn't good, so this cold weather doesn't suit me well. Yeah, sometimes it's better just to uh, stay in the warm house and you guys go knock yourself out, especially we yeah. just had that polar vortex. I don't think anybody wanted to be fishing during that he 25 hours. <laughs> home fish the other day, and he cooked the fish last night for us and some other friends. He did a fine job. So he not only... <laughs> can catch the fish can cook the fish so where are you off to next oh back up to the cabin we're heading that direction so uh, actually tomorrow we'll be gone and and we'll see when we come back well what a great experience again thank you for having me here i've had a great time i learned a lot and uh thank you folks for listening to the women angler and adventure now i will say that we've taped this uh ricky a big uh support person for Wisconsin Women Fish and the Women Angler Adventure has been taping it. We've never taped a whole interview before. I'm not sure how that's going to go, but you're going to be able to see it somewhere so you can hear it on the whatever that is, Pandora stuff. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm I'm one of the dinosaurs myself that's trying to figure it out, but Angie will have it all figured out. So you'll not only get to listen to this, but you'll get to see it. So stay tuned in the show notes. We'll share that with you. And thank you for listening to the Woman Angler and Adventure. Adventure.